How is everyone today? Great to be here with you, with God's presence with us, and and at time afterwards to share around the table of the Lord as well. Uh, let's go to prayer, shall we? Be, just before I do, uh, Allison Alvarez, where are you? Allison, Allison. Stand up, please. See, see Allison? Allison uh, was our director at camp in the summer. She has been involved in so many various aspects of uh, the ministry that we have here. And Allison is uh, going to be a... Uh, she's going to be a... An intern. Thank you. Did you know that, Allison? Yeah, she... She's going to be working uh, at least one day a week with us, and she's going to be working predominantly with children ministry, but other things in the church. And uh, she's just a, a young woman who has a, a love for God, a passion for Christ and for the things of God. And it's, it's uh, so pray for her, and uh, when you see her around, give her a word of encouragement. She's a great gal, and we love her here very much. Yeah. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, we have come to gather uh, in your presence with one another. We've come to hear you open your word, your word open to us, to be challenged by it, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. And Father, uh, it's, it's challenging at times to follow Christ and be what he wants to, especially in an environment that is anti-Christ. And so, Father, we come and gather together to be instructed from the Word of God, uh, to be encouraged from the Word of God, to encourage one another in the journey that we have of faith. And so, Father, I just pray and ask that you would open our hearts this morning. You would open our hearts so that we could give to you the praise and adoration and love and appreciation that you deserve for who you are and all you've done for us. But Lord, we also we also come with a sense of not only wanting to praise you, but to receive from you and to have you mold us and make us. And Father, I pray that you would open our hearts uh, as we prepare to hear your word. Father, I pray that you would uh, touch us in, in wherever our need is, whatever our challenge is, whatever the struggle we have is, or the joy that we have is, we can, we can relate to you in that. Father, help us to fulfill the mission that you've given us to lead people to know Jesus Christ and to follow him passionately. And I pray that today will be just another step uh, in becoming more like Jesus Christ, following him more closely and passionately in our lives. Uh, Father, we think of our men who are on retreat this weekend, and we just pray your blessing for them. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them in their faith, and they would come back uh, charged up and uh, better prepared uh, to live for you. Uh, Father, we pray also, uh, thinking about uh, the, uh, the ministry to our children that's going on right now, we thank you so much for our little ones, and we pray your hand to be upon them. We pray, Father, that you would speak to their, uh, their hearts in a way that they can understand. And we pray that you would strengthen the families in our church as they seek to raise their children to know and to love and follow Jesus Christ. Father, as Allison begins with us this week, I just pray your blessing upon her as she supports 
uh, the children's ministry and the young adult ministry and other areas that she'll be involved into. And Father, would you just make this uh, a wonderful blessing in her life as well as she uh, moves ahead and seeks your will for what your purpose is for her life at this time. Uh, Father, uh, we are cognizant of the need of your hand upon our country in light of the election that is uh, about to happen. Father, we pray that you would um, place people in office who will have a sympathy for righteousness and equity and fairness uh, that will provide a good environment in which the gospel uh, can be shared and flourish. And so we pray your hand to be upon our nation as we will uh, soon go and uh, vote in a new government. Father, we thank you for the many, many blessings that you have poured out upon us, and we pause now to not only give you thanks, but to offer our uh, gifts, our offerings before you as a token of our love and our commitment and dedication to you and our desire to see your purpose uh, go forward in this community and in this world of ours. And so, Father, we ask that you would bless that which is given to the honor and glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. We'll call upon the ushers at this time.
Please be seated. Make me more like Jesus is what God wants for us. Um, We'll see by the end of the message uh, how attractive that looks to you. As I move away from my kingdom, I've given up my kingdom. There was a kingdom that was short-lived, the kingdom of Kevin. Uh, My wife wouldn't join me in the kingdom of Kevin, so uh, I've disbanded the kingdom. uh, And I'll try and keep my teeth from uh, causing me trouble. One of the things that's a preoccupation in the scripture, and and in fact in all of life, is this question, um, what does it take to enter the kingdom of heaven? What does it take to enter the kingdom of heaven? What does it take to become a part of God's family? Uh, What is it to be accepted by God? Uh, What is it uh, to uh, be forgiven, uh, to have no condemnation or no judgment? What is it that God wants for us to be in that kind of a place? Well, the short answer is righteousness. What God wants for us is righteousness. Now, Jesus came and taught and was uh, criticized. In fact, as Jesus taught, there were, he was, uh, came under suspicion. Criticism came largely from the most religious people around, the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, who were renowned for their desire to live a righteous life, uh, to live the most righteous life that could be lived. They were careful to obey all the laws of the Old Testament. Uh, they, were, uh, they were so particular about it that they would, in fact, you know, you have a little pot outside your door and you've got some herbs. And so if they were going to take some herbs, they would pluck off 10 leaves and set aside one as a tie, the tenth that would be dedicated to God. They were that meticulous in what they tried to do, in, in, in their detail. They were so concerned about living a righteous life that they took the law of God and made laws about the laws and rules about the rules that God had so that they could ensure that they would be living within the guidelines and the guardrails that God wanted. They wanted to please God in all they did. And the problem they had with Jesus was this, that, well, Jesus didn't really observe their man-made laws. Uh, he did things like heal people on the Sabbath, and they said, well, like, that's work. How can you do that? And so they had a big problem with Jesus. And uh, their, their concern was that Jesus may be nullifying the Bible, that he may be uh, doing away with uh, with the Bible and, and that he would come and abolish it. That was their big concern. Um, which is not, which is, uh, something that Jesus needs to address here. And it's about this deficient righteous, deficient righteousness that he's talking about. And in Matthew five seventeen, it says this. Jesus said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or prophets. You, you, you've mistaken what my whole uh, thing is about here. I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. That is, the law and the prophets, that's the whole Old Testament. I didn't come to do away with it. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
He goes on to say, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. He said, no, I I didn't come to get rid of the law. I, I came not to do that. I came to fulfill it. Well, what does this mean? He came to fulfill it. When you understand what it is, it's an ostentatious claim that Jesus would come to fulfill the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. It involves several things. Uh, Not at all could be fully appreciated at this time. Here it is that all the the law of God demanded, all of the, the laws in the Old Testament, Jesus kept meticulously every single one of them he kept he kept them in in their uh, very literal sense he kept them in his in heart and spirit of the law he kept it all galatians 4 4 says that that he was jesus came and was born under the law he was born under the system and of the old covenant and and in doing that uh, he would tell john the baptist when he tells john the baptist to baptize him and john the baptist said look at I, I, you don't need me to baptize you. I need you to baptize me. And Jesus said, look, at, uh, for, for the sake of all righteousness, just let this be. Jesus did everything that might be uh, uh, considered what fulfilling the law would, would involve. And, uh, but it also suggests the fulfillment. When you hear fulfill in the Bible, you think of prophecies and prophecies that are fulfilled. And when Jesus, uh, after he rose from the dead and had time with his disciples before they went uh, before he was taken up to heaven um, he says in Luke chapter 24 that everything must be fulfilled what is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms that's the whole Old Testament um, and he showed them how he was in the Old Testament and what was happening in the Old Testament he fulfilled every bit of it he showed them all the messianic prophecies and how he fully came uh, to f- fulfill those things, all those prophecies, scores and scores of them foretelling how he would be like, what his ministry and his activities and his character and all of these things. He fulfilled it all. He came to accomplish what God had given him to do, which included, and we'll be reminded of this this morning, his death on the cross, <clears throat> excuse me, where, where he came and willingly gave his life as a sacrifice and, and fulfilled everything the Old Testament prophesied about him, and that he would be resurrected and he would be exalted to the highest place, that there'd be no name that there would be uh, that w- would surpass the greatness of his name. Everything uh, he did was subjected to the rule of God. And so he didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it and accomplish it. That is huge, what he's saying, the statement that he's saying. Heaven and earth will not pass away until, by any means until uh, everything is accomplished. And, and so there's a problem, though. Uh, there's a problem Jesus has. And in fact, he makes a statement that is so absolutely shocking as to take the breath away. He says this, in chapter 5 of Matthew and verse 20. I tell you, speaking to the crowds, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
We're talking about the religious elite. We're talking about the guy who's picking off nine, uh, nine leaves of an herb and setting one aside for God. We're talking about people who were so meticulous and so wanted to follow God and so fulfill everything that God had said. And Jesus comes out with a statement. Listen, you guys. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the most righteous people that we know in our land, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. You won't see it at all. Uh, and and this, is, this is just shocking. Uh, the people who went to the greatest extreme to, to please God are the ones that are falling short in God's eyes. And Jesus makes this outlandish judgment that unless you're better than they are, you have no hope. You have no spiritual security. Uh, you're not going to make it unless you're more righteous than they are. And they're going like, who is more right? I'm, I'm not, I don't even approach how righteous these people are and how they, how they live. And so Jesus paints a picture that for us is really kind of hopeless and this may be very disturbing to you, and most of us uh, are well acquainted with our, our shortcomings, our offenses, our failures, our sins. And uh, if I asked you, uh, if you compared yourself with someone, you may want to choose someone who isn't as righteous as you are and feel like maybe I'd have a chance with God, but that's not how it works. And here, what does Jesus say? So we... We need to find out from him, like, how, how do we deal with this? That, that if our righteousness isn't greater than the most righteous people, it's no good for us. So what Jesus is going to do from now through to the end of this chapter is he's going to pick six laws, six things that were in the Old Testament as laws. And what he's going to do is he's going to help us understand them uh, these commands from Scripture. And uh, he's going to help us see beyond these commands to what they really meant and how they're to be followed. And so we call this righteousness redefined. He's going to redefine righteousness for them with six case studies. And so uh, I can't spend a ton of time on each one, so, so track with me as we go through the six of them. Uh, the first one is murder he wants to talk to. Now, everybody knows murder is wrong. It's in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill. And so what Jesus uh, says is this. I tell you that... Uh, uh, excuse me. You've heard it said long, uh, to, to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Okay, we, we've got that far. At, at Sinai, God gave the law. And, and God spoke the law, and one of those laws was, you're not to murder. And uh, anyone who does murder will be subject to judgment. If you, there's, it's a capital offense. If you do that, we know from the Old Testament that that person who murdered is to be put to death. He would lose his or her life because of that. And, and so most of us are feeling pretty good, right? Never murdered. I'm okay. Uh, I'm, I'm fine. I, I passed that one anyway. So when we're feeling good about ourselves in this way, 
uh, Jesus adds to it. He says, now, but listen, wait a second. Before you pat yourself on the back, he said, I want you to understand this, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Well, we get from murder to uh, being angry with someone. It's, it's, he's going to go not for the external now. He's going to go for the heart. He's going to go for the, the mind, the intent behind it. And, and he says, if you're angry, if you're angry with a brother or sister, if there's this deep-seated hatred uh, about you, you'll be subject to judgment for that. The person, and, and uh, the person who says, raka, which is to insult, so it's an insulting word. It's like, you idiot. You airhead, you. If you were to say that, uh, he says, uh, it's answerable to the court. Uh, you, you'd be called up at, at the local court. And he goes on and he says this, that anyone who says, you fool, it, the, the word in, in, in Greek for fool is the word we get moron from. You fool, you, you, you moral depra- morally depraved person, you moron, you. Uh, if you say that, you're going to go before uh, the Sanhedrin. It, you're, you're gonna, it's going to get ratcheted up another level. And any, anyone says, you, you fool, will, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And this is, this is shocking. You mean, it's as though if I'm angry with somebody, I may as well have committed murder because I've done it in my heart. They say, well, that, that's not me. Uh, I, Jesus sees behind the self-satisfaction of, and the self-righteousness of people. In James 1.20, it says, for, man does not, the, the, for man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. You think back with me to the first family, and we've got um, Cain and Abel, two brothers. Both of them brought a sacrifice to the Lord. And uh, Cain's was not accepted by God, Abel's was. And, Cabal w- and, and Cain was angry with his brother. He was furious with him. Why, why does God accept him and not accept mine? And, and so instead of getting it right with God, he turns and murders his brother. But the seed was in there. The anger, the hatred was in there. And and he acted upon that. That's why in Colossians 3, it says, put off anger and wrath and malice and slander and all these nasty things. You say, I'm okay. I haven't murdered anybody. And I I trust that nobody in this room has murdered anybody. And we we can all have a sense of smugness. But Jesus said, I'm not going to let you away with that. Because when you look deep down in your heart, you see there's anger. You see there's there's hatred that you have. And, and what it is, is that's, where the, that's the seedbed from where everything grows. And you need to reconcile that. God's interest is in a right relationship. That's why those things are so important. It's how we treat each other. It's how we, it's how we uh, follow God. And... Um, He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar there and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Now, think with me. They didn't go to church every week like we do. They, in the Old Testament, went on prescribed times to 
Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And if you've gone a long way, if you've gone from way up in the Galilee down to Jerusalem and you've brought something that you're offering to the Lord, and you know now it's not just that you have against someone, but someone has against you. Then don't worship God. Don't take that and offer that that sacrifice until you've made it right with that person. And that may have taken something. He says, first go and do that. Why? Because relationships are important. And if you hate somebody or if somebody has something with you, then please get it taken care of right away. Settle the matter quickly with your adversary who's taking you to the court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. God is interested in how we treat one another. And so, so what we have is, is sometimes there are things deep inside us that we, uh, that we nurture. And always before the act is the premeditation. Is I've been thinking about this. I can't stand that person. That person has hurt me. I don't like them. I'm, I'm angry with them. I have hatred in my heart. And whether it's going from you to someone else or from someone else to you, God is, in, and Jesus said, I'm going to redefine thou shalt not murder for you. And all of a sudden, um, we don't feel too smug anymore. We don't feel too righteous anymore. Well, secondly, he talks about adultery. So in adultery, he says, you've heard it said. Again, these are the laws they had taught to them. They've heard them. uh, They've read them. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. I haven't done it. I'm fine. I'm, I'm okay. Well, but I want to tell you, Jesus said, let me redefine this for you. If you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And, and uh, so, so he says this, it's, it's not just good enough to say I haven't committed the act because if you've committed the act in your head, you've committed the act and your righteousness falls short of what God demands. And that's why Jesus nails these guys. They were, they were fine on the outside, but what's on the inside? What's below the waterline? What is it that nobody else sees in your life? What, what is it in your life that is just secret to you? God sees it, but nobody else sees it. You may have, you may have uh, uh, secrets in your heart that no one else is, is aware of. And, and he, Christ wants to invade the private places of your life. He wants to bring you to full righteousness, not this external righteousness that looks good on the outside but has no relevance inwardly. He wants to invade that. He wants to look below the waterline where none of us may be able to see what you do or I do in my mind uh, and, or on my computer, what I, what I partake in, all of this kind of thing. And Jesus calls for this radical kind of purity, not just that I can say, hey, goody, goody, two shoes here. I have not committed adultery. I'm okay with God. And he says, no, there, there's this whole secret part of your life that we need to uh, deal with. And if you've done that, then you've committed the act as far as uh, God is concerned. King David, well, uh, 
the generals went out to war in that time when when uh, kings go off to war and he stayed home and he was luxuriating in his palace and he was on the top of uh, the roof of his palace and looking down on the houses and he sees um, a beautiful woman in some stage of undress while she was uh, bathing. And uh, he sends, hey, this, this girl, who is this girl? Find out who this girl. Oh, this is, this is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Oh, well, bring her to me. And he conjured it up in his head, and he committed adultery. And God wants us to get by the external, and he wants us to get to the heart. He wants us to, to be pure in that way. And when, and when God, um, when, when we see in our society the way that that society is so sexually driven and, and, and so prevalent everywhere. Uh, it's accessible. It's not easy to live with that kind of purity that Jesus is talking about, but that's exactly what he's talking about. And so he says this, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole body uh, to go into hell. What is he saying? He's not speaking literally that I better gouge out my right eye if I'm subjected to things. But these these, uh, gates in which temptation comes through the eyes and through the hands and touching and this kind of thing. He said, deal radically with sin. Um, deal radically. Um, it's so serious that takes some very strong steps to keep you from uh, doing this thing. Stay away from temptation. Go, don't go near this person if you're tempted by them. Uh, get, get rid of uh, cable TV or whatever it is that you have to do, but deal with it uh, in, in that you might be pure before God. Well, the next uh, thing that he talks about is divorce. Divorce. Um, And he says this. It's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. So uh, he's talking about uh, Deuteronomy 24 in the law, where they're called to um, give a a certificate of divorce because women could be abused in that way. They could be say, you know, I I don't, you don't please me anymore. Out of here, I want to, uh, a, a bill of divorce from you. And to protect that, they weren't allowed to remarry the same person. So you couldn't chuck her and then get somebody else and say, well, I'll go back to her and all of this kind of thing. And uh, <clears throat> so Jesus is uh, talking with, with, these, uh, with this crowd. And he says this, um, he, in, in fact, in Matthew chapter 19, he has quite a discussion on it. Because uh, the religious leaders come and they say to him, "Now, can you get rid of your can you get rid of your wife for any old reason? Can you get a divorce for any old reason?" And uh, they say, "Because Moses said we could." And Jesus corrected him, said, "No, no, no, no. Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted it, but put some some uh, guardrails on this to protect people." And, and so he says, "You can't do that." Moses didn't command it. 
He permitted it because of what was going on. And so he says here that um, can, can a person divorce their spouse for any old reason? He says, you don't get it. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries this divorced woman commits adultery. What Jesus does is said, look it, this isn't how you can get out of your marriage. This is how you can stay in your marriage. This isn't about how you can, uh, how you can get rid of this person. It's about God's purpose. And God's purpose was permanency in marriage. And so don't even entertain that. And uh, instead, be committed to God's purpose and plan for marriage. And uh, one woman, one man for life, except for marital unfaithfulness. And, and Jesus pushes the envelope, pushes back on it, and says, come on, you guys want to see what you can get away, from, away with, not what your obligation is. Well, there's another area, and it's truthfulness. Truthfulness. Again, you've heard it said by people long ago, don't break your oath. Uh, you make a pledge of an oath, but fulfill it the way the, uh, to, the, to the Lord, uh, the vows that you have made. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you can't make even one hair, white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So if I were trying to convince you that I'm really, really, really telling the truth, I, I swear on my mother's grave. I swear by the name of God. I swear that it's true. And I swear I didn't do it. And Jesus says, uh, he, he confronts the, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the religious leaders later on, and he really nails them because of what they had uh, done they would use, oh, I, I made an oath, but I, I can up that oath by this one. And he said, look, that's not the thing. You need to have this dogged, uh, tenacious commitment to truthfulness. That if you have to say, I swear by this or that or the other thing, for you to believe me that I'm telling the truth, that's not the way it's supposed to be. The, our word must be worth something. Uh, our, our word must be something that people can count on, that we have that kind of character um, that the that there is uh, uh, we we are consonant with that. We have to when we have to swear by something to underscore that it's right or true. We just call into question our own veracity, and uh, we instead of trying to get out, remember that your word is your bond, and stop trying to verify that word by adding oaths. Jesus said, "Don't play games with that kind of thing." Well, the next one is vengeance, vengeance. And he says this, you've heard it, that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Do you know that that, um, that, that law predated Bible and God's people? Uh, there was a law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's called the lex talionis, and it's, it's how things should be done uh, to protect over extending in vengeance. And what would happen is if I hurt you, let's say, let's say 
I beat up somebody from your family. Your family may come back and kill me, and it just keeps escalating higher and higher. And so when it came to this kind of thing, and instead of taking it into one's own hand, this is something for uh, the government to do. It was the, this law, eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, was not to say, I, I'm going to get you. It was to say, when, when a crime has been done, you can't go past what that crime was. You've got to stay within those boundaries. And so uh, how, do you, uh, how do you deal with this? So Jesus is going to say, all right, um, I'm, he says, I tell you, uh, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. To, uh, slap in the cheek. You know, w- w- you know what uh, this means. Um, well, that was a slap in the face. What does it mean? An insult, right? And so he says, if somebody insults you, if it's a slap in the face to you. He said, um, don't, don't worry about that. Uh, turn the other cheek. Don't fight back against them. Instead of taking it into your own hands, uh, do that. He goes on to say, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand your coat over as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with them, go two miles. And, and what would happen when the Roman soldiers were there? They could say, hey, you, buddy, come here. Carry my stuff for the next mile. And he'd walk, and the, this guy would be obligated to carry his uh, pack or his belongings, whatever he had. And, uh, and Jesus said, look, it, if somebody tells you to do this, don't just go one mile. Go two miles. Uh, don't show vengeance. In, in, instead of retaliation, instead of, instead of hurting or, or getting back, um, instead of that, I want you to forego that and let it go and extend yourself. He goes on to say this, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. If, if somebody needs a loan, give them the loan, even if you may lose that money in the end. Well, right, but don't resist and don't retaliate. And when you get slapped, don't slap back. When you get, when you get uh, people saying terrible things and insulting things about you, don't do that. When people are trying to rip you off, don't you pl- uh, play uh, with fire the same way they do. Uh, and and r- the Apostle Paul would say in Romans 12, don't repay evil with evil. Leave the vengeance to God. Don't do it. Anybody finding this kind of tough? Anybody find? Lord, shape us. I want to be, we sang, we want to be like you, Jesus. Oh, do you? Because here's what I want you to be like. I want you to be kingdom citizens, and you're in my kingdom, and, and that's not like the kingdom of this world. Well, he goes on, and he says, the final one, there's the area of love. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, love your neighbor is in the Bible in Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, when, when Jesus is talking about it, he says, here's, here's how it goes. What, what's the greatest commandment? To love God with the totality of your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, so what Jesus says here, you've heard it said, 
love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You know, nowhere in the Bible it says hate your enemy. It doesn't call us to hate our enemies. And in fact, for instance, in, in Exodus 23, it says if your enemy, if, if his um, uh, livestock is lost and you find it, return it to your enemy. Don't say, ah, I'll get him. If, you're, if you've got a, a donkey and it's fallen into a pit, uh, don't leave him there. Help your enemy. So Jesus is going to redefine this whole thing. Uh, love your enemies, he's going to say. Uh, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for them. For those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus redefines this. He didn't say um, there, there are different words for love in the New Testament. And he didn't say, like, have these warm, lovey, gushy feelings for your enemy. He, he didn't say, have, a, have that familial lo- kind of love uh, for your family. He says, no, I want you to have the kind of love that gives and expects nothing in return. And I want you to treat, to love your enemies in those kind of ways, those who persecute you. Uh, and why, why do we do this? Uh, because he says that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You want to be like Jesus? Yep. You want to be like God? Yep. Well, this is, this is how it goes with him. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. Um, you know, you, you see uh, two farms side by side, and you've got one who's a God-fearing person who respects the, the Lord and lives faithfully before him, and you've got a reprobate beside him. And what does God do? God shows grace to the wicked. He, he brings rain and sun and, and prospers them. That's what God does. And you want to be like God? Well, you need to treat those people like God treats them when he treats them with kindness. And uh, he loves them and extends himself. And, and he says this. Um, he, he causes the sun to, to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Right? Anybody can love the people who like you. You can, you, can have, you can be in jail, a terrible person, and you find somebody that you, you hit it off and you like them. And you, you can treat them nicely. Uh, and, and he says this, that's not the way. You, you need to love those who are unlovely. You need to love those who are... determined to hurt you or to kill you or to get rid of you uh, to make life difficult for you even the tax collectors i mean they're they can return love to their own type and if you greet only your own people what are you doing more than others do not even the pagans do that he says we've got a higher ethic than that jesus has a higher calling than that and what he wants us to do is he wants us to love not just the people we really like and the people who feed into us and, and, and we have a great relationship and great chemistry. He says, I want you to love the people who hate you. I want you to love the people who are your enemies, who are trying to get at you, who are trying to hurt you. And he says, when you do, you show that you're like God. And our goal is to be like God, the Father, and God the Son. And that's why in Romans uh, uh, chapter 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us. When we were enemies, Paul tells, uh, tells us. And, and so here is God saying, now, Jesus saying, you be like your father in heaven. Well, he wraps it all up, and here's his standard. His standard is, uh, in conclusion, verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Ouch. Because I'm going to define perfect for you. You know, you thought you, were, you thought you were cutting the mustard. You thought you were doing fine. You thought you were a really righteous person because you didn't commit adultery and you didn't commit murder and you didn't do this and you were, you, you, you were fine. You were okay. You were good. And then Jesus begins to open up this can of worms and show us stuff inside and, and, and that other people don't necessarily see and the things that motivate us and drive us. And he says, now I want you to understand, uh, how are you going to make it? If your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. You'll never see the kingdom of heaven. God is the measure. Be perfect like he is perfect. You say, we can't do that. We can't do what he's saying. I've blown it already, maybe two or three or four or five times since I've come to, to church this morning. Uh, and, and to love my enemies and the people who hate me and the people retaliate against me, to go the extra mile with people, oh, I can't do that, I can't do that. I can't either. And, and it, it drives us back to the beginning of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are, 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 are those who, who, who come before God and we are so broken because we know that we're, we, we don't cut it, that we're not anywhere close to what God has for us. And, and that puts us in a place of hopelessness. We're condemned. We, we have nothing to do. We, 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 can't, we can't rectify the situation at all. We are in an absolutely hopeless state. And if you feel that way today, um, I take great comfort in that because you're in a position where you can go to one who can make you righteous. So that in the greatest act of, of love, God sent his son. I'm going to call the musicians to come now and, and the servers for communion can come and take your place uh, at the same time. None of us can make it. We're condemned. We're, we're incapable of changing ourselves. And, and here we are, faced with God's demands. This is just six case studies. Six case studies of you think you're, you think you're doing okay. And so in the greatest act of love, God, for the sake of those who don't care about him, who don't love him, who, who belittle him, sent his son to save people like us. And that he would come and uh, to a bloody cross where he would hang and die. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, Jesus, 
who had no sin. He lived an absolutely impeccable life. He fulfilled the law in every single detail. He made him who had no sin to be sin offering for us. He put our sin, he put our unrighteousness and our wickedness and our rebellion on his son and let him hang on a cross to die so that we might become the righteousness of God. What we couldn't do for ourselves, he himself would do. So we come, we come to this table and we stand at the foot of a cross and and, and we look up in, in this mutilated body that's hanging there, hanging there, dying drop by drop of blood, hanging there for me and for you, taking my penalty, taking my sin, and, and, and having me, having his righteousness, that I might become the righteousness of God, that God could accept me and love me and care for me. And so what a beautiful way to end this service is to come to the table and to remember the only thing that could save us, the only thing remedy we have is what God would provide when he sent his son under the law to live an absolutely perfect life and to fulfill everything the Old Testament talked about that he would do. So we come and I... I want to say to you, if you, uh, you're here and you say, you know, I, I, I never really thought about it that way, then I want to encourage you, if you hadn't realized how hopeless your state was, that God has reached out through Jesus to you. And if you sense that hopelessness and that helplessness you have, then you're in the place you need to be because he opens his arms those arms, those hands that have nail-pierced uh, scars in them and invites you to come to him. He, he invites you to place your sin on him, to believe what he did for you, that it applies to you, that he loved you that much, and to turn from your sin and say, I believe in what Jesus did on the cross for me. And with the sincerity of your heart, if you accept that gift that he offers, this will be a day to be marked for you when you were invited into his family, when you were forgiven, when you were a part of his, the body of Christ. And it wasn't on the basis of anything you did. It was what he did and offered and you received. And my prayer is, if you've done that, as we take communion, and you, for the first time, take communion and, uh, and celebrate and thank the Lord for us with all of that. This morning, we're going to go out and bring the communion to you. And uh, the, uh, the wafers, um, if you have a problem with gluten, it's, uh, they're, they're uh, gluten-free. As we take it and as we sing and reflect on what Jesus has done, I want you to keep the emblems until we celebrate uh, together. So we'll prepare ourselves.
700 years before Jesus was to come, a prophecy was written. I'm going to read you just a little bit of this prophecy that he fulfilled as he came. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Elder Johnny Chan will give thanks for the bread. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking our sins and our sorrows and for making them your very own. And just as you have loved us and given yourself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, may we as your children live a life of love, a life that reflects your righteousness and your holiness. And as we share in this bread, may we reaffirm our love for you this morning. Bless us now as we are reminded of your loving sacrifice. In your name we pray. Amen. Elder Don Rowe will give thanks for the cup. Let us pray. Father, you're an awesome Father. You're a loving Father. You gave us your Son who came with us, Lord. And your Son went to the cross and died and shed his blood for us. We take this cup this morning in remembrance of that blood shed. Let's partake.
to be cleansed, to be right in God's eyes, to have the righteousness of Jesus. What a beautiful thing. Let me say, if, if you made that commitment this morning, if you opened your heart this morning, would you come and share that with me? And uh, we would love to, to be able to encourage you and uh, help you as you get started on your uh, walk of faith, uh, following Christ. And uh, perhaps you just need some prayer. You need somebody to to support you in prayer. We've got some people up front who would be happy to do that. And so as we're dismissed, please feel free to uh, join there. Well, we're going out. We're going out into the world, having been strengthened and taught and instructed and having God's empowerment to go forward. So let's uh, be dismissed in prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for what Jesus has done for us. We thank you that we can live a righteous life by your help. We can't do it on our own. And we thank you uh, for all that you have done for us in that regard. And as we go out from this place, Father, I pray that we would truly be kingdom citizens. We would live the way that uh, pleases you and others would sit up and take notice and ask us why, what is the hope that we have within us. And we'd be happy to tell them it's Jesus Christ. So may your blessing rest upon us as we depart from this gathering now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.